Chapter Ten of Wanted a Husband. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five times Mr. Thomas Harmon vainly rang the bell of the Remsen mansion. While engaged upon the sixth variation, he became aware of a face in the window, scrutinizing him. All right, called the face. Mr. Harmon was then admitted through a crack scarcely adequate to his well-set, muscular frame to the presence of Mr. Jacob Remsen, who wore an expensive dressing-gown and an expression of unutterable boredom. "'Laid up?' inquired Mr. Harmon, shaking hands. "'Bottled up,' answered the young man, gloomily. "'Can I help?' "'Possibly. Did you ever kill a subpoena server?' "'Not yet. Care to try?' "'What does the thing look like?' Cast your eyes toward the avenue and you'll see one. Hmm. Not much to look at, is he? A worse-looking one comes on at ten and stays all night. I see, said the visitor. It's a blockade. Hard and fast. Among Mr. Harmon's many endearing virtues is this. He never asks questions about other people's troubles. He now busied himself in thought. "'Haven't you any of your amateur theatrical duds here?' was the outcome of his cogitations. "'All of them. "'Why not dress apart and walk away incognito?' "'Oh, certainly,' assented the other with bitterness. "'Put on a suit of tights and dive out of the conservatory window disguised as Annette Kellerman, I suppose. "'What's the matter with an old man makeup at the front door?' "'Just this.' Friend Murphy, on watch, hauls out his little paper, and on the chance of its being me, slaps the wrist of anybody who appears on those steps. He'll do it to you when you go out. He didn't when I came in. No, he wouldn't, coming in. Then why not fool him by coming in? How the devil can I come in without going out? demanded Mr. Remsen crossly for confinement was beginning to tell upon his equable disposition. Simplest thing in the world if you'll be guided by me. Spill it. Merely a matter of distracting friend Murphy's attention for ten seconds. At the end of the ten seconds you will be seen going up the steps to the front door. Presently you will be seen coming down again, unable to effect an entrance against the watchfulness of the faithful Connor. Do you get me? I get you. I'm to be in disguise. But how shall we get the process server off guard? Leave that to me. The two conspirators elaborated their plan, built it up, revised it, tested it at every point, and pronounced it perfect. But we've forgotten one point, said Remsen at the end of the discussion. What's that? Where do I go when I get out? Where do you want to go? "'Anywhere out of the world!' Mr. Thomas Hardy submerged himself in thought and came up bearing a pearl of great price. "'Kino, I've got it! Refugees furnished to order. You've never been to my place in the mountains, have you?' "'No.' "'Boulder Brook on Lake Quam, plumb in the dead center of nowhere, thirteen miles from a railroad, fishing and hunting on the premises.' "'Reads like a real estate man's prospectus,' observed Remsen. "'This year, 
pursued Harmon. I'm keeping open house for a special reason. Two fellows I know are getting married tomorrow. It's a double wedding. It's also a double honeymoon. But they aren't on to that yet. Harmon's clear brown eyes twinkled. One half won't know how the other half lives till they get there. I've loaned the place to both couples for a fortnight. It's a dead secret. Neither couple knows where the other is going. They're on oath. They won't thank you when they meet across the dinner table. Oh, it isn't as bad as that. They'll be a mile apart. The Lees will be at the cottage. They get off at Meredith and go in on the truck. The woods I'm sending to the island. They climb out at Ashland and go over by boat. Unless they all happen to take the same train, one pair won't even know the other is around until they meet up on the lake or in the woods. Sounds like a party. Doesn't it? Want to join? What? Butt in on a double bridal tour? Excuse me with thanks. No butt in about it. You can go to Lasonia. Get yourself a car from the garage and motor to the bungalow. That's at the third corner of my little triangular piece of mountain and forest. By the practice of expert woodcraft and dodging, you can avoid seeing each other. Wouldn't know them if I did. Any other agreeable surprises about the resort? No. Oh, yes. I nearly forgot. There's a little friend of Gloria Green. Girl. Tired out. Too much gaiety or something. Don't know what it is or who she is, but... She's up against it for a month's rest. So Miss Green wished her on Boulder Brook, and welcome. Where does she go? inquired Remsen suspiciously. To the cave, or the castle, or the crags, or the haunted manor house, or the co-educational club, or which one of the numerous institutions you maintain in your private city? She goes to the farmhouse. Mrs. Bond, my housekeeper, is looking after her. Seclusion is her watchword. If you see her, make a noise like a dry leaf and blow away. You'll go, won't you? Remsen meditated. It certainly seems made to order, and it's mighty good of you, old man. Yes, I'll just take you up on that. There's a train at nine o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow? Make it the day after. I've got some things to attend to. Now... About our jail-breaking scheme, I've got an amendment. How would it be if the taxi I arrive in should catch fire at the psychological moment? Can it be done? Easily. I'm not a manufacturer of chemicals for nothing. Great. Keep it going for ten seconds for the benefit of the watchful Murphy, and if you look up after that, you'll see the Englishest-looking Englishman you ever set eyes on outside the pages of Punch trying to tear my old-fashioned doorbell out by the roots. That's your best makeup, is it, Remsen? As good as any. Fortified by my accent, it is most convincing. That'll be Carteret. Who? Rodney Carteret. Am I supposed to know him? Rather. Not know a man with whom you toured for two months in Japan? said Remsen reproachfully. "'Stupid of me,' confessed Harmon, grinning. "'Carteret, good old Roddy, certainly. "'Then I'd better capture you—him, I mean, "'and take him to the nine o'clock train for Boulder Brook in my taxi. "'Right-o, old thing. Be here at eight-thirty. "'Cheerio,' said his host, 
Britishly. Promptly at that hour, on the second morning thereafter, a taxicab swerved violently into the curbstone, almost at the feet of the patient and vigilant Murphy, and stopped with an alarming scrunch of brakes. From its window emerged a heavy puff of smoke. From its door emerged Mr. Thomas Harmon, who rolled upon the pavement, apparently strangling. Mr. Murphy rushed to his aid. When he was restored to his feet and his breath, and the taxi had ceased to imitate Fafner the Dragon, a tall figure in an extremely English ulster, which had hastily emerged from the Remsen front door, rushed down ten steps, and leisurely climbed them again, was wrenching violently at the bell. For a time Mr. Murphy regarded him disdainfully, then crossed over, held brief colloquy, and returned. "'Hot chance he's got of breaking in,' he observed to Mr. Harmon. "'What is he making all the fuss about?' inquired that gentleman, as the visitor again applied himself forcefully to the bell. "'Wants to see Mr. Remsen, but the old bulldog of a butler won't let him put his nose inside the door. Says his name is Cartier, and he's come all the way from England to see him.' "'England? Not Roddy Cateret.' It was done almost as well as that accomplished actor, Mr. Jacob Remsen, could have done it. Harmon sprang across the street. Cartier! Roddy Cartier! he called. What on earth are you doing over here? The bell ringer adjusted a monocle and ambled down the steps to shake hands. Well met, my dear fella. Perhaps you can tell me what's amiss with this beastly house. I'll tell you proffered the obliging and innocent Mr. Murphy, he did so. "'Then I'll just go back and jolly well camp there till somebody jolly well lets me in,' decided the caller. Argument followed while the chauffeur burrowed into the mechanism of his car. It ended by the Englishman bestowing two dollars upon Mr. Murphy to get a message to Mr. Remsen containing a protest and an address. The two gentlemen then moved away in the extinguished taxi." Tickets had been provided by the forethoughtful Harmon. The fugitive was the first man in the parlor car. Hardly had he settled when a young couple in suspiciously new apparel arrived and were shown into drawing-room A at the upper end of the car. Shortly after, another couple, also glistening as to garb, entered and took possession of drawing-room B at the lower end of the car. The eluder of justice eyed them and drew his own conclusions. "'Here we are, all of us,' he said to himself, retiring discreetly behind his newspaper. This was just one short of the full and fateful facts. End of chapter 10